Social emotional skills affect cognitive skills. Cognitive skills affect motor skills. If something occurs in the emotional area, it impacts what happens in the physical and the cognitive areas. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. As our audience expands, so do our platforms. Now you can also find us on Stitcher. You may be a teacher who excels at building relationships with students while also empowering them to achieve their educational goals. And if you are, you'll definitely relate to Scott Baltisberger from TSBVI's Outreach Department as he discusses the role of social-emotional learning in literacy. When I moved to Texas, I started hanging around Scott a little bit because we worked in the same building. I was inspired by his educational reports, which talked a lot about leadership for all kids. I started to seek out his advice when thinking about my past work as a TVI and also my current role as a parent. So after reading his recent article in Texas Sensibilities, I thought a lot of people need to hear his message. So as you'll hear, I often struggled with content, but not so much with building relationships. I just didn't know how to integrate those two things together. And Scott has some great ideas. So with my son and my students, I could have used some of Scott's insights years ago. kind of notice patterns sometimes, you know, certain issues sort of seem to come up repetitively. And one thing that I noticed was coming up quite a bit, it was a Braille question. They wanted assistance in teaching the child Braille. They wanted some way to help the child. They weren't being successful, but these were children who seemed to have the prerequisite skills to read and write Braille. Physically, they could do it. Cognitively, they could do it, but they would not do it. You could make them read Braille. Mm -hmm. You could sit them down and say, read this. But when it came to them actually performing, you know, independently, it would not happen. And so that seemed to come up a lot. And TVI seemed to be struggling with it. You know, what is going on here? Everyone else takes it. Once they get it, they go with it and they run. And these, these kids were not doing that. So, <laughs> you had to figure out why that is. <laughs> right. Well, so what I noticed, um, the Sensibility article talks about one of these, one of these children. And okay. typically what we'd notice when we go out there is that these children seem to have social and emotional behaviors that were, much, that were typical of a much younger child. That is, when you weren't prompting them, when they weren't sort of being directed by an adult, what they chose to do independently, what they chose to do on their own free time, looked a lot more. I think the child in the article was seven. I think it was a second grader. And typically these kids I'm talking about were like first, second, third grade. The behaviors, the socio-emotional behaviors that I saw were more like about a two-year-old mm-hmm. or even younger sometimes. Mm-hmm. That is that all their play was very, it was typically solitary play, very self-directed, repetitive, very sensory motor oriented. Mm-hmm. Most of the times when the school were addressing this issue, they looked at that as a behavior issue. They looked at that, okay, the child needs to learn how to be more mature. The child needs to stop resisting Braille. So mm-hmm. it was looked at as a behavior issue. What 
I started to look at more was like, well, is this more a developmental need that the child has? If the child is showing me by what they do independently, that is where they're at. That's the kind of interactions that are meaningful for them. Those are the kind of interactions that they really need because development occurs sequentially, right? Mm -hmm. Kids, young kids, they do what they need to do at the time they need to do it. If a child has not yet, still needs to go through that stage, that sort of um, sensory motor exploration, that stage where they're trying things out and retrying them, you know, testing and retesting. If they're still doing that, it's because they have a need to do that because they still haven't worked through all those issues or Mm -hmm. all those hypotheses that they've got yet. Why do you think it's common for us to see children who are blind have particularly the social and emotional development that is below their peers? Like that specific developmental category always seems to be, there seems to be a gap that's pretty common. You know, we talk a lot about the impact that vision loss has on development. I don't think we really have thought about how that affects social and emotional skills. I mean, we have... But we haven't thought about how that fits in with development overall. In general, in schools, we don't address social-emotional skills. You know, so it's sort of seen like, well, that's something that happens at home. You know, that's what happens in the family. That's happens in the free time. Or naturally on the playground, unsupported. Uh, right, that's right. That's the perception. Right, right. But, you know, think how much vision plays a role in all of that. It just doesn't sort of naturally happen. There's a sequence of prerequisite skills that need to be in place before all that happens, and visual impairment makes breaks that up. The social-emotional area impacts the cognitive area mm-hmm. in the sense that what you're willing to engage in, what you're willing to work on, has a lot to do with what you're emotionally ready to do. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily what you're cognitively ready to do. I, I haven't heard this term used anywhere else except for in your reference, but the the emotional literacy, those are two words that we don't hear them together. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like, what do you mean by this emotional literacy? You can't really separate the two. You know, all development, it's interdependent, right? I mean, we, we, we've done a really good job. I think people look at, at development, they say, okay, it's sequential. Certain things happen before other things. It's dependent. This has to happen before this happens. You've got to crawl before you walk. But the interdependent nature of it, the idea that social emotional Emotional skills affect cognitive skills. Cognitive skills affect motor skills. Motor skills affect, if something occurs in the emotional area, it impacts what happens in the physical and the cognitive areas. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole slew of skills, there's a whole literacy there that has to be developed. It has to be developed fully. It can't just be sort of addressed as an add-on. It has to be developed fully in order for these other areas to develop fully. So in the example the kids we're talking about here, they weren't doing Uh, literacy work. They weren't doing Braille literacy because they weren't emotionally literate at that level. Looking back now at my own itinerant days, and I I considered all those things as separate conversations, Mm -hmm. never really thought about it as like, well, let's just put all our time and attention on this one area that's Mm -hmm. a real big deficit until we can get them up to speed. I guess I never had the, the perception that if one was really bad and one was really good, that really mattered. 
as much, that you couldn't keep getting better and better at, for example, Braille literacy until you worked on the social-emotional. If you're in third grade, so you're a third grade student, you're expected to do third grade work. Teacher gives you your assignment, gives you a reading assignment, tells you to think about it, about the main topic, or think about you know the development of the character, blah, 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 and gives you a worksheet and you sit down and do it. Now, if, if you're a third grader, you're like, okay, I want to please my teacher, you know, socially, emotionally, I'm at a stage where I'm thinking about, I want to, I want to shine in front of my, my classmates. I want to get good grades because my parents like that. I want to impress my teacher because the teacher's nice. But if you're emotionally at the level of a two-year-old, you don't care about any of that. Yeah. You don't care yeah. about that. Your social relations are not there. You know, the way you interact with the world emotionally is not there. Mm-hmm. And where you're at emotionally you know, your emotional level is where you will perform independently. You can sit with them and one-on-one drag them through all kinds of lessons with prompting, as you said, and things mm-hmm. like that. But to set the expectation that you're just going to do this assignment because you want to do a good job right, <laughs> for right. somebody else, potentially. Right. right. And so that's seen as a behavior issue. Well, yeah. they just, they won't do it. They yeah. refuse to work. Right. And it's not so much a refusal to work. It's really kind of a it's not there. They're not yeah. emotionally there yet. We tend to look at it as, okay, our role is academic subject. We're going to do math. We want to do language arts. We're going to do science. We're going to do social studies. It's grade level material. That's the stuff that's tested, right? Yeah. So we got to get them ready for that. And so the social emotional is sort of an add-on. I think that's mm-hmm. what you said, right? Mm-hmm. It's an add-on. It's something we get to that when we can. Yeah. You know, we'll put we'll put like a little five-minute thing on the end of the lesson maybe to talk about that, but we don't see it as um, an essential skill yeah. that children need in order to grow and develop. Right. I think you got to reframe what is the primary need of the child at that time. Is it to sort of try to force them into fitting into this third grade format or second grade format? Or is it for them to develop greater independence in using the skills that they have? You just have to be flexible. It's more about how you approach it as child-centered instead of expecting them to really care about, you know, right. the princess in the castle. Right. Which they may not unless they had some tie into that. Right. Right. I think, you know, you have to you have to be willing to sort of take the time and not feel pressured to to fit into the grade level schedule. I think mm-hmm. a TVI can do it can really be helpful to to spend a lot of time just sort of going at the child's pace mm-hmm. and seeing what what is it they really do. What is it they really want to talk about? What are they really saying they need to talk about? How can I bond with this child, right? Because young kids, it's all about the bonding. They want to feel close. They want to feel connected to that person. You know, how can I form that bond with this child? Yeah, it sort of seems like, well, I, maybe I shouldn't have to bond with the child, you know, in that way when they're eight years old. But again, they're not emotionally at an eight-year-old. They're male more much younger so they need that time and Mm -hmm. that attention and that closeness yeah speaking as a parent myself when my son was really young like people were throwing checklists at me all the time you know like he's delayed in these things and so it was always about this push to try to make him do what I wanted him to do Mm -hmm. it wasn't until he was about six years old that somebody finally was like you know you actually have to pay attention to what he wants to do (laughs) and try to engage in that way because he's not going to just do what you want him to do you know that's a real novel concept but I think that that is probably something that happens chronically you know this push to 
get them to succeed and develop without really stepping back and saying like, well, what are they doing? You know, how do we engage with the child at their level and their interests? And, you know, no, I don't want to sing Farmer in the Dell 3000 times, (laughs) but they do. (laughs) So sometimes you have to, and then you have to make a book about it. And then you have to, you know. Yeah, you can spend, (laughs) you can spend a week doing that. (laughs) Yeah. If not more. Yeah. We're so focused on this success sort of as determined by our grades and we really don't look at the whole child and that and that's that's been endemic in general ed for a long time but it's seeped into into what we're doing as well right it's all sort of like okay you got to be making progress you got to make progress you know we've got these tools to measure it but it's not looking at the whole child it's looking at these sort of these disparate skills you know are you can they brush your teeth yet you know, can they, can yeah. they, you know, um, identify a contracted Braille? Can they do this or that? And it's not looking at kind of, okay, but is the child really engaging with other yeah. people? Is the child attached to the outside world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and think about what a huge disservice we're doing if we sort of go through the motions of education for 20 plus years and then they go out into the world and have no, they don't have the feeling of empowerment to go out and do things greater than, you know, right. hang out in the house by themselves. Yeah. So in your article, I thought it was great that the the teacher admitted, you know, that she actually didn't know very much about her students' interests when, when you started to get into those questions. And um, I think we've covered why it's important to find out what their interests are, but why do you think it's hard for teachers to really get into that like how, how do we miss that because i know we've all done it that's not stressed mm-hmm. in our prep programs it's not a component it's not on the teaks really for very young kids they'll talk about that but once you get to a certain grade it's like oh no now we're now we're on the train yeah you know? full steam ahead yeah from here to 12th grade you know we're picking up all those credits look at what a tvi is expected to teach have you looked at the ecc lately <laughs> <laughs> right yeah i mean it's a lot of stuff and when you've got a student it's a student that you know, you're looking at being a, a, a Braille student. You know, it's a, a, an immense amount of information, an immense amount of skills you're trying to get across. And so there's this pressure, and the pressure's coming from the school, the pressure's coming from the family, pressure coming from inside yourself. You know, mm-hmm. I have to do this. And we just don't see that as a subject area or as an educational responsibility Mm -hmm. it's seen as something that just sort of happens just sort of magically occurs (laughs) or you know it's something like well the family needs to take care of that you know or really they should have taken care of that back in (laughs) pre-k the the teacher in this that was in this article yes she was sort of amazed i remember saying that she she felt sad because i feel so sad that I, i don't really i didn't really know this child at all but that's good though it's it's you take the time step back take a breath Mm -hmm. you know let let don't feel you have to be jumping in you know every minute trying to make something happen just watch what happens because if you change the focus of your program change the focus from you've got to be able to read this braille at this rate or you've got to know these many contractions if you change it to say i want to build this child's independence Mm -hmm. if you make that the primary focus working independently as opposed to 
working, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it changes your perspective a little bit, I think. When I was a new TVI, I um, was really good at building relationships with kids and right. not so good at moving them through their goals. And so <laughs> I, I told my um, supervisor at the time, I said, you know, I'm a horrible teacher. Like, I'm really not uh -huh. a very good teacher. And he completely disagreed with me. Yeah. I couldn't see why because I didn't feel like I was actually getting kids through the goals I set for them which is also important mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like finding that balance and I wonder if there are teachers out there that are really good at the relationship side maybe not so good at figuring out how to take that and put it into the content because it is twofold you have to address the content and you also have to be child-centered and so I'm sure there are people like this teacher in your article that really probably excelled at content and mm -hmm. realizing what they needed to do but maybe struggled in the other part or just mm -hmm. hadn't really thought about it. I think it's a matter of finding ways to bring start bringing in the content that you want to offer into that. Now I'll give you an example Another example of a student I worked with years ago, and she was in, I think, uh, kindergarten at, this, at the time. And this is a Braille student, but she absolutely despised Braille. I mean, mm. that's not too strong a word. Mm. This is a, a little girl about five years old, but she would pick the Braille writer up and throw it. And she was not a big child. You know, so that took a lot of, you know what I'm saying? There was a lot of rancor there, you know, in order to power that that interaction, in order for her to be able to get that, pick that thing up and, ch I mean, literally chunk it through yeah. the air. Oh, wow. You know, how am I going to teach Braille to a child who throws the Braille machine at me? And, and not randomly. I mean, yeah. that was like what, if you would say the word Braille. I mean, yeah. you could whisper the word Braille from across the room and she would lose it. Sometimes it doesn't look like what we think it should look like or what it's supposed to look like. So I started doing an object calendar with this little girl. You know, objects. I'm not object objects. And, um, you know, not, not tactile symbols, you know, not Braille symbols, uh, you know, objects. What she really liked to do was the, you know, the APH ball has the bell in it. Oh, yeah. And um, she really liked to kick that. She liked kicking that down the hall and chasing it. Mm -hmm. And so that was, one of, that, was the, that was the main thing in the calendar box mm -hmm. it was that ball. And so we, you know, we, okay, you know, we get the ball and we go out in the hall and we kick the ball down the hall. And we do that for, you know, <laughs> for long periods of time, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes we'd do that. Mm -hmm. So I'm seeing this child for 45 minutes, I think, an hour you know, a direct mm -hmm. a day. And so for, we do that for about 15 and 20 minutes. Then we'd come back in and we do something else, usually something real sensory motor oriented. And then we go back and do the ball again for another 10 to 15 minutes. And then we might come in at some point, I introduced Braille. And so it was like, oh, we're going to do Braille. And she didn't like that, but it was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Braille just means I'm going to do Braille. <laughs> You're going to watch. And so I would like get the Braille machine. I would like Braille on it, you know, or get out some Braille. And I'd say, oh, I'm reading the Braille now. Wow, this is really interesting. And she would just kind of sit there and like fume <laughs> until it was time for ball time again. And we go out and play with the ball. And after a while, 
because we were such good buddies at ball play, <laughs> she started wanting to take part. You know, she was willing to kind of look at the Braille or touch the Braille machine. Mm-hmm. And and you can see where this is headed. And so slowly, you know, it got to yeah. where, okay, she would like actually help me ride on the Braille machine or she would actually help me read the Braille. And it got to where the ball time was lessened. It got to where she would do like little flashcards or she would like track little lines of Braille and things like that. So I never really got her to read Braille. It was a whole year we spent doing this. She never learned to read at grade level that year, but now she does. You know, I left, Mm -hmm. and someone else, you know, really wonderful TVI took over and actually taught her to read Braille, but it got her that point, Mm -hmm. right? So that didn't look like what you would typically do with a Braille, academic Braille student, but it's what she needed. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and when people asked me, they would see that and they said, what do you, you know, when we were like playing with the ball, <laughs> the ball down the hall, they said, what are y'all doing? You know, aren't you the Braille teacher? <laughs> Shouldn't you be doing Braille? And I was like, well, I, we are. This is setting the stage for that other thing to happen. We yeah. got to take the long view. We, we can't just take the short view with kids. We got to take the long view and say, okay, where, wh- where am I headed with this? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think we've all seen the kids that have been in school for years without building relationships. Mm-hmm. And they're tough kids to get. Like when you get a new kid moving to your district and they may have been going on school for eight or nine years and they never developed those relationships. And so they've just sort of been, school has been acted upon them for so long that now they don't want to do anything. And right. they have all those, what we call behaviors. So if I'm thinking about the teacher that picked up my kids from me, at least I feel kind of good about maybe they were in a good place. You know, yeah. they liked school maybe. And, yeah. they, and they were okay with moving forward with some things because they realized it wasn't always about drills and yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, emotionally, they achieved a huge step there. Emotionally, it's sort of like, oh, school can be fun, and a teacher, a TVI, is someone who I can look forward to seeing because mm-hmm. they will present things that are enjoyable for both of them. And that's a huge emotional sort of concept yeah. to have. Mm-hmm. Now there's this tendency for everybody to kind of do their own thing, you know, go to yeah. their own house, you know, mm-hmm. take online courses and not really interact with other people in a meaningful way. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, uh, I think it has a lot of ramifications for where we're going. What resources are available for teachers that may want to learn more about this concept of emotional literacy? What I've done, what I've found effective, when I've looked at children who are not performing to, you know, what we think the best of their abilities, one thing that's helped is to go in and do some sort of an assessment of their independent skill, you know, like looking at what they do independently, specifically social emotional skills, but also if you just look at what, how do they play independently, you know, what kind of play. So you can do like play-based assessments, you know, or just kind of more general things like the Oregon, you know, look at that kind of looks at uh, different skills areas um, at different age levels and kind of see like where, you know, where, what is this child doing? You know, what are they, what do they do independently? Or do they demonstrate that they're capable of doing independently? And that a lot of times that'll tell you, 
you know i mean it's like do they brush their teeth yes okay well no no do they brush their teeth independently will they brush their teeth if you don't sit there and tell them okay left <laughs> right yeah. left you know if they don't then no they're not brushing teeth. so a, a really good assessment to use is that um, functional scheme assessment so that goes with active learning and now uh, people will like People will like scream when you say that because they'll say, well, no, this is not a multi-handicapped child. And you say, well, okay, but the functional scheme was developed for children with blind visiting period zero through four. I would say just look at gross motor skills, look at fine motor skills, look at play skills because the, the, the functional scheme breaks it all into like these 20 different areas and see like, okay, what do they do independently? How do they play independently? Because that's the functional scheme is like, if they don't do it on by themselves, without prompting consistently, then they don't do it. And you might see like, okay, well, this child's nine years old, but they play like a three-year-old. And then that will tell you like, okay, they've got needs in that area. Here's, we need to maybe start looking at the kind of interactions and the kind of educational activities that I set up maybe need to address more of that. You know, there's probably other ones that work just as well, but that's when I found that, that helps. I think we always look at what they're doing on their free time as like, oh, they just need a brain break. They're yeah. just out there because they need a break. And that's why they're playing by themselves is because they just need a break from social time and not mm -hmm. so much as like that's actually their that's their default. What mm -hmm. you're doing with them instructionally is not the default. So you have to look at it as not so much like they need a break as but like, oh, that's where they function independently when I'm not here yeah. forcing this other stuff. Yeah. That's a huge takeaway that anybody could walk away today and, and go look at a child and be like, oh, that's <laughs> there's some work to do. That's you know? what's going on. Are you looking to find ways for your child to have increased participation in their lives? Join us February 27th through the 29th at Hyatt Regency in North Houston for Texas Focus 2020. At the conference, we will explore tools and strategies to empower all children with visual impairments. For registration and information about events at Texas Focus 2020, visit tsbvi.edu. To find a detailed example from Scott, you'll want to check out his article in the fall-winter 2019 edition of Texas Sensibilities titled, Teaching Braille to the Whole Child, Considering the Impact of Social and Emotional Development on the Acquisition of Braille Skills. This may be the first time some of you have heard about this publication, so we asked the editor-in-chief, Ann Atkins, to call us from Mexico to tell you more. Texas Sensibilities is a joint publication of three different agencies. The Outreach Program at Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired, Texas Workforce Commission, and the Blind Children's Program, HHSC. We typically publish two to three times a year. Occasionally we do a summer issue. This year we are doing a fall issue, the one that came out in December of 2019. And we're currently working on the spring 2020 issue and we're hoping for a publication date of early April. And each issue is typically about 40 pages long. So even though we call it a newsletter, that's actually a little longer than what I think most people would consider a newsletter. Our goal is to share information that's both relevant and timely with our audience, which includes both families and professionals that work with students or have an interest in students with visual impairment and deaf blindness. 
There is a section called Family Wisdom that includes articles written by and for family members. The Effective Practices section of Texas Sensibilities contains articles that are usually written by professionals for professionals. The third section is called News and Views, and it's a section that contains more general type information or articles of importance to everyone. We provide Texas Sensibilities in three formats. We prepare it in print, in both English and Spanish. There's also a recorded version of each issue, which Learning Ally prepares for us for each issue. And that is posted on our website. Also, both the individual articles and the entire issue itself are also posted on our website in both English and Spanish. To access these articles online, it can be found on TSBVI's homepage. If they look to the right, the right-hand column has a section called Popular Pages, and Texas Sensibilities is about halfway down that list. On that page, you can also find what uh, readers can request a copy to be mailed to them, sign up for a subscription to Texas Sensibilities in either English or Spanish. Scott really highlighted the importance of student interests in instruction and building relationships to improve academic success. I don't know why this hasn't always been obvious to me before. We think about relationship building with coworkers and team members, so why not make it a priority with students too? Many of us do, just without realizing how significant that could be. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.